Welcome to another special episode of Africa State of Mind, a podcast about great Africans doing great things on the continent and around the globe. It is all about changing the narrative on Africa, owning our own stories and controlling them. The podcast is definitely about curating incredible African stories by Africans. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your suggestions and comments on our social media pages. Our social media pages, again, for those who just joined us, Facebook at Africa State of Mind, Twitter at Africa State Mind. Let's get straight into this episode. So my guest on today's episode of Africa State of Mind could be introduced in so many ways. After all, with a career spanning 25 years, she's an award-winning journalist and was a producer and executive producer at CNN. She's covered 9-11, Hurricane Katrina. She's covered presidential campaigns and inaugurations, the Oklahoma City bombings. She is the assistant professor in the Department of Media, Journalism and Film at Howard University. That's in summary. However... I choose to introduce her as a PK, preacher's kid. That, of course, means that she can sing because, after all, which PK can't? Here's where it gets really interesting. She also wrote a paper around the anniversary of Salt and Pepper's um, international hit, Let's Talk About Sex, because she understands the influence of hip-hop on culture and society as a whole. She was brave enough to walk away from CNN to pursue other options, and once upon a time, she was Ms. Howard. She was certainly no ordinary beauty queen because she found herself protesting against the South African apartheid government singing, get this, in Kosizikileli, Africa. And I think she still knows one or two lines, so we'll get her to sing it on the show. As a journalist, her job quite literally is about sharing the narrative. And as a professor, she's tasked with directing young minds and ensuring that they are able to tell stories that are accurate and fair. She's done a little bit of that while she's been in South Africa. I'm so excited. We had a great dinner yesterday. We'll keep dinner at dinner, but please help me welcome... The incredible, my sister girl, Jennifer C. Thomas. Welcome to Africa State of Mind. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction I had to think. Is she talking about <laughs> I so No, I'm so excited to have you on today's show. I think that there's so much that we can talk about, and I really hope that people's minds are going to be open and learn a lot from you, because just in the uh, two hours that I got to spend with you yesterday, I left thinking quite a lot. So the first thing I need you to do is to sing a few lines from Sikilele Africa, because no one is going oh to believe me. <laughs> or you can... I, I remember the first line, and then I kind of remember near the end, so... Yeah. The first line, and tell me if I, uh, you know, please forgive me. It's been a long time, but I remember it was, um, Go see Sinkeleli, Africa. Yay, <laughs> see? At the end, Go see Sinkelela, Tina, Los Wapolayo. Something like that. Okay, the interview comes to an end. Thank you very much. You've been great. <laughs> <laughs> but that was awesome. I really, I really love that. You know, I love the fact because I think it, it just will bring this entire conversation home because it really does show the link between um, African Americans and Africans as a whole. Absolutely. So let's talk about just you being involved in protesting against the apartheid government um, way back then. You know, it was definitely um, enlightening and eye-opening, and I think that was probably one of the best parts. Um, about being in the position as Miss Howard University and representing what Howard is about, truth and service and speaking up and speaking out and taking a stand. And that was one reason that I chose to attend a historically black college and mm. university, HBCU, yes. of course, the best one, Howard of University. Course. And I was approached by students from South Africa 
And of course, I date myself now talking <laughs> about when this was. But I remember meeting, we have a, a tree that we call the International Tree on campus, and it displays flags from different nations. So we met uh, initially there at the tree, and they taught me the song. They were like, if you're going to go, if you're going to protest, um, you have to learn the mm. song. And I took such great pride in, you know, I sang for Miss Howard, so they knew I could sing. But I was really nervous to make sure that, you know, I pronounced everything right. And it was just, I just felt a, a bond there with the students and then what it stood for. And I remember fast forwarding um, when Mandela was released and um, there was there was such pride and excitement in the air. Mm. And I think he there was a parade, something had taken place in Atlanta and everyone was celebrating and um, my nephew was a, a baby and I was there and I was just like, oh, and I just felt part of it. Yeah. Um, even though I was not physically there, I felt like I was part of that uh, historical moment, just on the small thing that I did. And there were certainly others in our student government who protested much more and more often than I did. I was just happy to be among that and among the students that were hoping and helping to make a difference. And in the end, you know, I don't know that our protest did anything, but it certainly made us feel like we were contributing to the cause. Uh, definitely. I think that that was such a, it's just such a beautiful thing because more often than not, I feel that around the world, everybody thinks that they're a lot more separated than what they are. And hearing a story like that just makes everybody realize that the whole time, you know, no matter where it is that you are in the world, or in this case, in the continent, there are people who are kind of, you know, hoping that the best comes out for where it is that you're based, pretty much. Absolutely. So now let's talk about just your career, because honestly, I have, and I say this in the nicest kind of way, I have career envy for all the <laughs> things that, seriously, the, all the things that you've achieved, all the things that you've done. How did everything get started? It got, well, thank you, first of all. <laughs> but it got started back at Howard at my first job, I was blessed and fortunate to have my first job two weeks after graduation, literally. Yes. And I was in Washington, D.C. My first job was back home, Huntsville, Alabama. I went kicking and screaming. That's in the South. In the South. Wow. In the South, yes. The in southern the part of the U.S. that most people identify with civil rights and all those negative connotations. And it really wasn't that. It was, it was that it was a small, it was a city, but it was nothing on the same level of being in Washington, D.C. Mm. And I had spent four years in D.C. The last thing I wanted to do was return home. But I also knew from my professors that that, as a journalist, that's where I could, you know, pull myself up from my proverbial bootstraps and start a career. So I went to a local television affiliate in the role of an associate producer uh, to train as a producer. When I first interviewed, there wasn't even a position available. And then the news director, I said, well, you know, I met him over the holidays and he said, when you graduate, come talk to me. So there I was. And he said, well, you can set up a meeting, but we don't have anything open. No problem. So I went, I knew I was going to leave that station with a job. And sure enough, he called me a couple of hours later and miraculously there was a positioning <laughs> for an associate producer, which was, you know, the, the um, entry level producer position. But I was so excited. And uh, through that, I learned so much. I used to have to sit and we would watch feeds uh, coming in and that was video coming in from different parts of the mm -hmm. country and the world on stories that were happening every day. And I had to literally dictate what was coming down off of these feeds. And that's how I saw uh, Tiananmen Square happening, sure. 
things with the wall and different uh, things that were going around, around around the world. So I felt I was, you know, knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to host, produce, anchor my own little talk show that we had because I had that at Howard. And the only black producer at the station left, I mean, reporter left, and it was just me. Mm-hmm. And I went to the news director and said, hey, I, I'd like to have that position. So in any case, I was able to have a talk show, do some reporting, learn how to produce. Sure. And I stayed there, went to my next station in the same market. About a year and a half later, was promoted and like was able to double my salary, which was still pennies on the dollar. <laughs> but anyway, I was in local news for 10 years. And, you know, nowadays, kids and people want to start off and leave school and go right to the top. Yeah. And to me, I would not have had it any other way because I learned mm-hmm. so much. You know, you talk about small towns, but they're communities, they're people, they're stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And I really learned the ropes and met some wonderful people along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, I had an opportunity to work for NBC. NBC used to have an overnight show. I would go in. Uh, my hours were, I think, then 9 to 5 p.m. to a.m. Wow. That's <laughs> Not a.m. to p.m. <laughs> yeah. um, and I stayed there for five years. And then I uh, got the opportunity to work at CNN, which was my dream job. Mm-hmm. So I came in as a producer um, in 1999. And I stayed there full time until 2008. So mm-hmm. along the way, just so many countless stories and opportunities and you know, I used to love to get out of the studio and go into the mm. field and do feature reporting. I had the opportunity to cover Beyonce and interview her nice. um, oh and, you know, so fun things like that to covering those serious stories mm. like the um, anniversaries of the Oklahoma City bombing mm. and Katrina. So it's just been a wonderful career. And when I look back now, as they say, when I look back over my life and think <laughs> things over... I have a testimony and really that's what it is. It's been, um, it was a great, it's been a great career. Mm. And now I love the fact that I have the opportunity to share some of my war stories, so to speak with these uh, next generation of uh, journalists. I think that that must be, I mean, your career, I mean, I'm literally sitting here thinking, okay, Leslie, start your life again. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I think it must, nothing can be um, better than passing on that kind of knowledge, you know, and um, and I think especially in the time that we are in now in the world where across the world, I guess for multiple reasons, um, first of all, with social media, it's probably an entire different ball game where now literally everybody is a journalist yes. or feels that they are public. Published, quite literally. Um, and then, of course, with facts and with, you know, what is what is factual, what's not. And just with what's going on around the world with media um, and the way that media is either celebrated or hated. There's, there's, there's an extreme. There's no middle ground. So what are some of the lessons that you teach some of the students that you um, that you lecture in in the in at Howard University and also while you've been in South Africa guest lecturing? So, wow, that's a good loaded question. There's so many lessons to be learned. And like you said, so much has changed Mm. from when, you know, we started our careers and got into this business and the things that we said we were dedicated to doing and how we went about doing that. And you hit the nail on the head with social media now. You know, everybody's, we say everybody and their mamas now, <laughs> a journalist. And you have what we call citizen journalists. And, and what, so in class, we, I, I'm often asked the question about the journalists of today and versus, you know, 
before and what needs mm-hmm. to change. And I always say you have to go back to the basics. So I generally start off, and this is what I did when I was speaking to some journalists here, some student journalists. I was like, raise your hand if you love working weekends. <laughs> <laughs> If you love working long hours with low pay, <laughs> and I start and everyone's, no one's raising their hand. And I'm like, if you haven't raised this hand, this may not be the career sure. for you. That's and powerful. I really start off honestly with, you know, uh, the reality, because a lot of times these kids are getting into it because they see like someone where you are sitting and they think, oh, I'm going to do that as soon as I graduate, not knowing it's all not. that you have done to get to where you are, to have this and be in this beautiful place to do what you do. They want to go right to the top of the mm. network and I'm going to be an entertainment journalist, I'm a beast, which is great, but they don't know about the hard work mm. uh, that goes into developing them to do that. And then, like you said, what separates journalists from somebody who has a blog and who has a website. So we go back to the basics and talk about what are those fundamental things that journalists do and what mm-hmm. separates that. So we talk, I have conversations about ethics. Uh, and I also point out that, you know, we are, we are one of the few uh, professions that like attorneys have to put their hand on a Bible and swear to take an oath to protect uh, to make sure everyone has access to a free trial or doctors mm-hmm. take a note that they're going to try to save lives. What do we do as journalists? Nothing. Right. So what's oh, going to separate us from those mm-hmm. other people? And I always, whenever I put it that way, it makes them think. Sure. And then I go into the whole thing about we were so important. And this is how we're like with South Africa, that we're our profession is embedded with the Constitution. Mm. Our friends who are in accounting and engineering, that's great. But we're embedded in the Constitution, so we may not get that big money, but we know that our jobs are so valued because we're holding those governments accountable and we're, you know, defending democracy. Mm. And, you know, it may sound lofty, but that's the truth. That is the truth. And, you know, we have to make sure they realize if don't get in it for the wrong reasons, Mm because you need to go into another field Mm. if that's the case, because you need to be in. And at the bottom of whether you want to do sports or entertainment we say, they say, I want to be a sports reporter. No, you're going to be a sports what? Journalist. I want to be an entertainment what? Journalist. Okay, so what's that second word? Journalist. Okay, well, let's get you there first. Mm. Sure, that's really powerful. I love this. This is like journalism 101, <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, in the last episode, we actually um, had a chat with Lerato Mbele Roberts, who's, uh, she's the, she does BBC World uh, you know, she's from South Africa. She does BBC World. So it was so awesome because we got into a conversation around the way that Africa's story is told. So it was interesting to see that from her perspective. I'd like to know from your perspective, how do you think or at all, do do, do you think that Africa's story is told to the rest of America? Because from before, it wasn't as great. But mm-hmm. um, like now, what are the, the Americans' thoughts around um, Africa as a whole from the way that media portrays what's going on in the continent? I think now it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And I think when we hear stories of like Desmond Tutu mm-hmm. and um, Nelson Mandela, even though those are, you know, there are hundreds of others we could talk about, for people in America, they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my first visit here was two years ago. And there were literally people in the U.S. who were still thinking that I was coming to um 
countries in Africa where there were, and not that they're not, but I was going to, every place that I would be going to had dirt roads and like, you know, people dressed in war paint and just, you know, in sackcloths and running around. Mm-hmm. There are still people who feel there is such an underdeveloped, um, the countries are so underdeveloped. And I'm like, do you know how far ahead they are than mm-hmm. we are in some areas in technology? Yeah. And when we look around and see in fashion and just in general. Uh, so I think that there are still some of those stereotypical tropes that are out there about what Africa is. I think it's getting a lot better um, through the stories that are told. And when we start telling stories of people like Nelson Mandela, and Mm -hmm. then we start doing more stories about, well, where is he from? And what is the country like? And what are the resources that are there? And what is the government set up? And Mm -hmm. how um, has it been in post-apartheid South Africa even? So as we start telling some of those stories and they lend to more, Mm. you know, and so it's just creating awareness because, you know, there's that saying that ignorance is bliss. Mm. And I always remind my students, but not in a court of law. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And and so for us, ignorance, we don't have Mm. we don't have the time to be ignorant about the rest of the world. And as journalists, we're supposed to know a little bit about a lot of things. Mm. So we have to open our mind and explore. And now with the internet, there is no excuse. At all. You know, but mm. I, and I think with the internet, it's helping too. And with even shows like yours that I can play in DC or I can send it to my nephew um, who's in uh, outside of Boston and wants to be president one day and he can listen Some to this yeah. and listen to you here in South Africa. So I think there's, you know, areas and ways that it's getting better. Mm. But I think um, we have to make a more concerted effort to tell those stories. Mm. Now, um, Howard University is, uh, I mean, just hearing about it, um, you know, whether it was it being mentioned in movies or a lot of the great people, including yourself, that have come out of Howard University. It also seems as though within Howard University, because it is, um, you know, it is a, a traditionally black university. A lot of what's going on in Africa or African culture, there is a little bit of that coming in and, you know, students being taught that to understand kind of their heritage. Can we talk about just how important those curriculums are and how much the students actually want to know? Because I know, for example, there's a South African artist, um, Nassisi, who literally <laughs> people in Howard had contacted him to ask Thing. Oh, and wow. he's, I mean, how old is he now? He's like 21, right? Yeah, yeah this was maybe when he was 19. <laughs> Some wow. students in Howard University had literally reached out to him. So that was quite interesting. Or they were asking questions around him, should I say. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about just from that perspective, because yes. I think that that's the future generation as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That's the part that I love about Howard University. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, besides being a top tier research institution and we're right up there with, with um, the other uh, colleges and universities, when it comes to our history and culture, mm-hmm. it's not really a choice for us to be more aware. It's part of the fabric of who we are and why we attend there. So the students are required to take certain courses. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to take courses so you learn about history. I remember there's a class that's still taught, maybe called something different now. Even when I was there, you could take a class about the African diaspora. Um, And there are courses where you're learning about leaders. And as we learn history, so for example, I took um, an English course, but I took an English course where I learned about um, authors 
up until 1877. So I learned about Olano, uh, Olano Equiano, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, who um, was one of the first African uh, poets. Nice. Um, so we were, you know, so we, we learn more about just, mm. you know, whatever your field is. We learn who are those people in your field. Mm. Um, but outside of that, who are people that have contributed to uh, the culture, um, and the history of the world, and that includes Africa. And it's always been a sense of pride. We have, a, and I don't know the numbers, but we have a great international presence there, which is highly celebrated. Sure. Uh, and so it's very exciting because the students now, I think even more than in the past, seem to, you know, gravitate around that. And, what kind you know, of? We're all black. <laughs>